This is Citizen the Pod with your girl Kina Zantel. Get your weekly plug into today's news, politics, and culture. Join me every week as I give you the rundown on popping topics and put you on game. Get woke with me. What's up, citizens, voters? It's Kina Zantel, and I'm coming to you two weeks before the most important primary of your life. And I know you hear that a ton these days, but it's the truth, and I'm here to tell you why. So this is the beginning of my new segment. I'm going to be putting out quite a few episodes before the midterm elections, and I'm calling this segment The Okie Doke. Now, many young people listening to this segment may feel like, okie doke, what does that mean? Well, the Urban Dictionary defines okie doke as a con, and it's ironic that I'm going to be talking to you today about con cons or states conventions or constitutional conventions. So this might get a little heavy, so I'm going to keep it really short, okay? So in two weeks, we have the opportunity to change power in state houses across this country. So we're talking about governor's races and state majorities from Republican to Democrat. There are 36 governor's races in play in two weeks. Florida, Nevada, Massachusetts, New Mexico, Georgia, Ohio, Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, and some maybe states like Kansas, Oklahoma, and South Dakota. Now, why are these races so important? Let me break something down to you. A constitutional convention is a gathering of delegates for the purpose of amending the Constitution. And there are very wealthy and very powerful factions in this country who are pushing to do exactly that. What? You've never heard of this before? Let me drop some knowledge on you. In order to call for a constitutional convention, it only takes two-thirds of the state legislators to submit applications to Congress. What many of you probably don't know is 27 out of 50 states have live applications into our Congress as we speak right now, meaning only nine states have to put forth an application in order for a constitutional convention to be called upon. The other way, the harder way to call for a constitutional convention is two thirds of both houses voting for one. So of course, we're not paying attention and they've been been—they've already been successful in creating an environment to make this what nine states from reality. Now, what's important about these constitutional conventions is the delegates that participate in this convention can be appointed by the governor. I'm hoping everyone is paying attention to the direction I'm going with this, but the delegates that participate in this convention can easily be appointed by a governor. So if you are from a red state, you can have all of the delegates that go to this constitutional convention represent ideals and values that won't protect your rights. I'm hoping you get the vibe of this combo, this okey-doke, a plan that has been put into motion that is almost towards completion. What's interesting about what can happen at a constitutional convention is that amendments can be proposed can be argued upon, can be debated, but a majority of votes at a constitutional convention can lead to amendments that will then be sent to our Congress to be voted on. Now, Congress can say, yes, we're going to go forward. Whoever is in the majority in Congress can move forward with those amendments and then send them down to the states to be ratified. Another key component to this is state legislators are supposed to ratify these amendments. 
However, state legislatures can be bypassed in this process and the amendments can then be ratified by special state conventions and the delegates in those conventions can be appointed by governors, partisan governors who are going to make sure the delegates reflect their wants and their goals for the direction of this country. So the okie doke is supposed to inform you of ways in which folks are going after our constitutional rights and people who others in power that won't protect what we believe this country should look like moving forward. One thing that has been discussed is the fact that there are factions in the Republican Party that actually want senators to be appointed by governor. Now this could easily be an amendment to our constitution made at a constitutional convention, meaning that another branch of government can be controlled by people who don't represent the ideals of the majority. Another way in which this group of folks can take our right to vote in our representatives away from us. See, it's key that we pay attention to the small and methodical ways in which the powerful are being able to take back their America. So this is not a segment to scare you, but it is a segment to awaken you to the game that's being played and how we have been for 40 years, not really even on the court. We've been sitting in the stands. It's time for us to do the only thing that's going to be able to change the way in which these people feel that they can just do whatever they want to at our expense. And that's vote. So I'm going to go get my cute little voter outfits. I'm going to turn up on November 6th. And I'm hoping that all of you join me as we surge into the polls. If we can send 100,000 men and women to war, we can send 100,000 men and women to vote and protect our constitution and what it was really written for. To protect the rights of we the people. This was Citizen the Pod. Stay tuned for our next segment. Welcome back, folks, to Citizen the Pod. Joined today by my friends, of course, an awesome homie, and someone I would like all of you guys to kind of get to know. I'm sure he'll be moving up the political ladder, so you'll be hearing about him in the future. So let me introduce Adam Holier to the show. How you doing? I'm great. How are I'm you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So you recently won an election. You decided to jump into the crazy game of politics. So tell the people a little bit about yourself. Um, that's always the the question. So there's the long story, there's the short story, there's somewhere in between. All right, I mean, let's start with what motivated you to run for office. My dad. Uh, so when I was about 10 years old, uh, I convinced my dad that we should go to the Million Man March. And we did. And uh, we went with the Black Firefighters Association, uh, which was the Phoenix Firefighters. And while we were there, uh, if you were there or, you know, when you kind of remember, they were talking about how many people were actually there. And there was a lot of question about whether or not uh, there were actually a million people. And there was nobody taking tickets. There were no turnstiles. I had no idea how they actually mm -hmm. figured that out. So my dad explained that they take aerial images based on density and, you know, they have known points. But anywho, there were people who are professionals who could figure it out based on math. And I was like, hey, dad, we can figure it We can do that. Let's go take a photo. So we went up to the top of the Washington Monument, stood in line, and we took a photo looking back down towards mm. the Capitol. And from that, from that image, you could see, for the most part, black men from the Washington Monument to the Capitol packed, packed in there. And the photo was 
kind of cool. And so my dad had a couple printed. He was also the uh, fire photographer uh, for the Detroit Fire Department. Mm -hmm. And that photo made its way uh, to, you know, the fire union or whatever. And it ended up where dad was presenting a copy of this photo to uh, the mayor of the city of Detroit at the time, Mayor Archer. And as we did that, my dad told the story of why we took the photo. So Mayor Archer leans down and he's talking to me and he's saying, you know, find people who see a problem and immediately seek to solve it. And he kind of put the bug in my ear. And uh, weeks later, my dad told me that I could never be a firefighter, uh, that uh, the hardest decision that he could ever make was that there were people in the world that he could save. And the idea that I didn't have that little bit of fear that kept you from a space Mm -hmm. was always going to leap and that that was not ideal. So he uh, was also trans transitioning from firefighting to fire prevention. The uh, three E's of fire prevention are education, enforcement, and engineering. And so he challenged me to do one of those three. Uh, and so in thinking about that, it made me think about systemic fixes. It made me think much like Mayor Archer had discussed. And so I kind of went down this road of trying to make a priority of looking out and taking care of the people who Russia I'm committed to kind of kept moving from there. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> that's an awesome story. So, so you have this experience as a child, you get older, you go to college, you educate yourself, you come home and then what happened? Kind of in between college and moving home was I spent a summer in Biloxi, Mississippi after hurricane Katrina. And it was one of those very formative experiences, one of those things that, you know, happen in your life and they change who you are and who you're going to be. Uh, and that's what happened to me. You know, I lived with a 92 year old woman uh, in her FEMA trailer for a summer and I learned a lot. I grew up, I became a better person, a more responsible person, but I learned the, I learned the human side of policy, right? So if you went down after Katrina, and you were there for a couple of days, you would notice that uh, just about everybody had bought new cars, right? And the cynical people would say, oh, well, you know, they're not even back in their homes. Why would they buy new cars? And when you sit and talk to people, they got new cars because they were stuck when the storm hit. You know, these were people who couldn't get out. And so having reliable right. transportation after a storm where you were trapped in your home or you were trapped in a neighborhood where you couldn't get out is the reason that everybody who could went and bought a new truck. You know, and that's not the thing you see when you just pop in or when you read the, the news clipping or, or whatever it is on Facebook. That's something you just don't get. And so it made me understand how important it was to not only think deeper about it, but to really understand what people were going through. And I right. think we miss a lot of that. So you have this Katrina experience. Did you decide when, when did the light bulb go off and say, I'm going to run for state Senate? Like how many times did you have to get asked? Because, you know, a lot of people say, you know, you have to ask someone 10 times before they even decide if they're going to consider running for office. How many times did you get asked? How many? Okay. It, it was on my heart. You know, my, uh, my, commander so one of one of the the uh, officers who led one of the training programs i was in uh is from kentucky is a um and we were talking after the 
election in 2016, and he was teasing me about he, how he was up, uh, kind of stressed out watching the returns. Uh, we wanted different people to win. He was a lot happier in the end than I was, but how he was stressed out about how mm. Detroit couldn't count ballots, you know, in this national thing about how in Detroit, I'm getting teased by this guy from Kentucky about how we can't count. And so it reminded me that I needed to try again. And, and, you know, I ran for state rep once. I lost. I ran for city council once. And, you know, both of them were very close races, but I lost both of them. You know, and I don't think I was planning to run again. Uh, And it was just a reminder that there was work left to be done. And I looked out at the field. I looked out at what needed to be done and didn't feel like anybody else was talking about the issues or had the experience to solve the problems. So much like my dad said about uh, how I did not have that thing in me that told me that enough was enough, that I couldn't do it, that it was not the battle for me. I knew that there was a battle to be fought. I knew there was a need and I felt like I could help fix it. So I signed up. So one thing I want to get across to my listeners, because I am a political junkie and I've I've had experience doing campaign work is that running for office is hard. And to me, a loss is a win. Every loss is a win. And most people are going to be like, what does that mean? Well, in politics, it's about proving to voters, campaigns are about proving to voters that you're, you're truly in this to be about something, to really make change. And someone who runs twice to me is someone who really wants it, who really wants to do the tough work to try to impact communities. And... You know, and it also, listen, every time your name is on the radio, on a ballot, on a a yard sign, you're also, you know, getting the name recognition needed to eventually win that race. I mean, there is, you know, a lot of marketing principles can definitely be applied to political campaigns. So I applaud you for still stepping out, even though twice. Because, like I said, to me, you know, working with candidates, I feel like losses are wins. And every time you take a and like you said, every time you lost, it was close. I mean, that's to me, that means that there was there was there were definitely people who are willing to vote for you. And every time you ran for office, they were willing to do it again. Like and that is that is that kind of experience to me is just. You you really you can't really place a value value to that. And I think that's, you know, that kind of energy is what's needed out in the political field these days. So, again, I'm excited to hear that you kept going. You know, people need to see that. And I think that's definitely awesome. Well, I appreciate it. It, it worked out. So I feel good about it. Uh, the kind of irony is uh, Michigan has term limits. And so if I had, I ran for state rep six years ago. Yeah, six years ago. And if I won then, I'd probably be in exactly the same position going into the Senate right now. And I would not have had the breadth of experiences right. or interactions that I've had over the last six years. I mean, you learn a whole lot more from mm-hmm. a loss than a win. And my network, my growth has really grown. You know, I, I've really had a lot of unique opportunities uh, I was able to, you know, enlist in the army and go and and do that. I was able mm-hmm. to work in the mayor's office. 
I was able to go work in the both the nonprofit and the for-profit sector. So I've had a lot of different experiences that I think really added to the richness of both my yeah, character and my awesome. candidacy. I had um, I had worked on a campaign, a smaller campaign, after working for a state senate seat, working for a state senator here in Buffalo. I had went off and worked on a mayor's race, and we lost by 15 votes. And it just it goes to show like that even that loss it meant so much to the community that I was we were trying to represent. And it also somewhat scared the opponents. Like if 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 folks want to try to change the status quo, they can most definitely do it with a little organization. I think they totally underestimated us and eventually they got they they got the point. And you know, I'm I'm it's unfortunate that I wasn't really able to transfer that energy into you know races moving forward in the area so to speak um and that was just because of my own like professional development and the things that i actually wanted to do but you know persistence and hard work will get you far and you know losses definitely can say a lot to to people in power because people love power and they love to control money especially when it comes to like government funding and all that good stuff so when they feel like someone is coming for that power you know they may they may decide to shift their ideas about certain things that they weren't willing to before because we made a statement so i think it's exciting so anyway so you're in office well you're running for office tell the mm-hmm. folks like what it what stage of the political campaign process you're in right now so we are uh so first i'm in a, in a slightly unique situation uh so i was on the ballot twice at the same time once for a partial term where i'll take office as soon as they certify the november general election i say i will take office because i'm running unopposed in that seat uh, <laughs> and then the second one is for the full four-year term where i have a uh, republican opponent uh, so we are, you know, just a couple of weeks out. The election is November 6th and yeah, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting. I'm in a seat that is overwhelmingly uh, Democrat. Mm-hmm. So there were more uh, Democratic votes cast for the person who came in second in my 11 person primary than the full amount of Republican votes cast. Uh, so it's what uh, folks would consider a safe Dem seat. Right. Uh, but, but Michigan is really an interesting state. You know, we, uh, we elected the president uh, by just about, t- just about 10,000 votes, uh, mostly out of Macomb County. But at the same time, we are poised right now to send Democrats uh, to power at almost every statewide office, flipping it from the way it is currently, where it's held by almost all Republicans. And then similarly, uh, might be able to take the state Senate in Michigan for the first time in 35 years, which would be just tremendous, would be amazing. Right. Uh, so we're, we're really excited. We're really, really excited. And uh, the type of changes, you know, there are a lot of really interesting initiatives going on in Michigan this year. 
Uh, we've got a, uh, a ballot initiative called uh, Voters Not Politicians. It's proposal two, which would create a citizens committee that will, you know, impar- impartially or nonpartisanly or to the best of their ability, redraw or, you know, preside over the redistricting process uh, is going to take place in a couple of years. So that's going on. Marijuana is going to be on the ballot. Uh, there's the uh, Promote the Vote initiative, which would make it significantly more easy to uh, participate in elect in elections uh, in Michigan. So there, there's a lot at stake this uh, this fall, this winter. Yeah, that's so Michiganders, if you're listening, okay, there is some important, There's there are real reasons for you to go out and vote. You mentioned a few key things. For instance, gerrymandering, if, if the listeners aren't familiar with that, that's when the party in power has the opportunity to redraw the lines for districts ranging from the federal level all the way down to local seats. So the party in power gets to draw those lines and there are, there are cases at the federal level being fought every day because gerrymandering has created districts or created lines that have favorably, that favor one party over the other. And they've also been able to find that some of those lines are actually racist. Like the judge came back and said, these lines are overwhelmingly biased. And I actually believe that was Pennsylvania. So gerrymandering is the reason why you can have you know, states with major metropolitan areas, but all red or Republican representation when everyone around you has completely different values from that party. But they've been able to find a way to maintain power through gerrymandering. You also mentioned the legalization of marijuana. That's somewhat on the ballot in New York as well. If the Senate flips to the New York State Senate flips to Democratic control, the likelihood of marijuana becoming legal next year is very high. Um, and that's also happening in, in Michigan, as you noted. Um, well, it's a citizens referendum in Michigan. So it, it, citizens are going to are gonna make that decision. Wow. And it is very likely to pass. So it's on the ballot. Uh, you can go vote for this. Similar to what California yes. did. Yep, and so all three of those things are on the ballot. You can vote via citizens referendum. Wow. So that is uh, legalizing marijuana for recreational use, uh, you know, eliminating partisan gerrymandering, as well as uh, what they call promote the vote, which would be allowing same-day voter registration, no reason absentee, things like that. See, come on, folks, you gotta you gotta go out to vote. Parties in power also play a role and how you actually cast your ballot. We've just seen what's, we've, we've seen what's happening in Georgia with Stacey Abrams and how a hyphen is the reason why they're trying to decide if they can throw away your voter registration or you've moved so the addresses don't, don't match anymore. So therefore they can purge you from the voter rolls. We, I mean, these are the tricks and the games that a, that a party will partake in in order to keep you from voting. So this is why I stress the importance of voting on this podcast. So anyway, we know that, you know, you're, a, we're, we're young. We still got a little pet to our step. Do you think that it's important for other young people to run for office? 
Yeah, I do. And, and honestly, the state senator in Michigan is about to get a lot younger. So you look at myself, I'm 33. There's another, um, when you look out at, at the folks who were kind of in that space, there are a couple more people in their 30s, you know, four, five, six in this region that it's going to make the, the Senate a lot younger. And if uh, Dems take the state Senate back, it will change, fun- it'll make it a lot more um, diverse from a sex standpoint. Mm-hmm. Right. So right now, I think there are three women in the Michigan State Senate of 38. And that number is surely going to change. I mean, it's going to increase significantly. So it could be up to, you know, nine or 10. That's awesome. And so there's a lot of change that's going to happen in Michigan. And when you look at that, it also plays on some of these districts, how they were drawn, but also the type of candidates we have. You know, we have a number of first time candidates running. Uh, one, a, a good friend of mine, Julia Pulver, who's running in the 15th state Senate district. She's a registered nurse. There's Mallory McMorrow, who's a designer, running up in the 12th Rosemary Bayer, who is a, um, a small business owner, a computer programmer person. I mean, we've got a lot of people who were frustrated and upset over the last two years in the world and have decided to step up and, and engage and do something different, do something better. And so I'm really excited about what Michigan is going to look like and can look like coming out of this. Right, that's good. I think that's clearly it's needed in lieu of Kavanaugh, but we don't even have another 30 minutes to talk about the nonsense <laughs> and, the, and the importance of, you know, you know, a diverse represent, you know, a diverse body of representatives. So. Last question. Well, I, let me Go just ahead. let me just step in and write that real quick. So, one thing that I think is critically important is is people are now thinking very deeply about uh, the Supreme Court. But in Michigan, all the judges from your district courts up to the state Supreme Court are elected, and they are in what we would call the nonpartisan uh, section of the ballot because judges are supposed to be nonpartisan. Right. We all know that not to be the case because even for Michigan, the uh, uh, state parties nominate candidates uh, to run as Dems or Republicans and then be nonpartisan at the same time. So we got a lot of issues when it comes to judges and the judicial system. But the biggest part is people aren't recognizing the importance of engaging, getting to know judges, thinking about them. Right. So I have a good friend, Bill McConaughey, running for reelection in the 36th district judge. People got to remember to flip over their ballot and vote in that nonpartisan right. section. And so it's just critically important that we think about our local judges the way that people are now starting to think about Supreme Court justices, because we select all the other judges at the state level. Yeah, we, we, we Democrats, people of color, we have definitely dropped the ball in regards to paying attention to judgeships across this country, DA's races, local races. I mean, we we made some strides with civil rights, but I think that, you know, it's time for there just to be a a re-emergence of the the movement. But then we need to talk about, like, how do we take MLK's dream to the next level? Because he did discuss the need for us to create political power in order for us to in order for voting rights and civil rights to continue to just change the direction of this country. And the Republicans ever since then, ever since the Voting Rights Act was signed, have been working towards this day. 
the opportunity to change the courts in a way that they'll their policies at the state level to keep people from voting to be upheld at the at the federal level if ever sued. So, you know, we've we've we just gotta we've really gotta just take a step back, make sure we do our thing in, on you know on November sixth. But then we, we really need to figure out who where where is the leadership going to come from in regards to taking on these issues. So my last question for you is the midterms are in less than 20 days, maybe 18 at this point, somewhere around here. How, how important is November 6th to you? How important is this midterm election to you? It's critical. I mean, it's going to change. It's going to chart out where we go as a country because, yeah, Michigan has a, you know, a, a ballot initiative. Uh, that could change partisan gerrymandering, but every state doesn't. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that it's going to pass. I mean, we need to make sure that as a state, as a country, we are electing people who represent our interests. And I think divided government is good. I mean, you look at what has been going on at the national level and how critically important it is going to be for the House to have uh, an ability to, you know, to provide oversight over the president over a number of the issues that are going on and to really investigate these things. I mean, we need checks and balances. And when one party has control of everything, they are not willing to check the other branches. They are not willing mm -hmm. to uh, slow down some of the initiatives that I think can be particularly damaging to you know, people of color, black folks, I mean, in particular. Mm -hmm. I, we really have big issues that need to be solved. And on Tuesday, November 6th, will either say we're committed to solving them or not. Mm -hmm. And that's important. So, you know, you know this, uh, and maybe your listeners don't, but I'm also Native American. I'm Muscogee Creek. And one thing that I thought was really impactful for me was the reason that Senator Lisa Murkowski voted no on Judge Kavanaugh was not about affirmative action. It was not about climate change. It wasn't about uh, Roe v. Wade. It wasn't about presidential powers. It was because... The native communities in Alaska did not like him because of the way he has ruled on uh, native disputes mm, and, and some of those issues. And so that is a, a political group or, or a group that people do not often factor no, into these discussions. But they took, you know, in a state like Alaska, they are an impactful block. And it is a reminder that as minority groups, as individuals, we too can be hugely impactful if we decide to step up and be counted, yes. right? So you look in Alabama, much was made about how it, we finally elected a Democratic state senator, but black women voted in astronomically high right. levels in that election. That's what turned the tide. Like if we step up, if we are counted, if we push our, our numbers higher than people can expect higher than normal, we'll make an impact and we'll get the level of uh, services that we've always wanted. Well, listen, okay, on November 6th, I'm showing out. Like, I'm going to buy me a voter outfit and I'm going <laughs> to make sure my makeup is done. And I'm going to the polls like it's a party because it is just, it's just time for us to see this, not as just this like mundane thing that like old people do. And if it takes us putting, making it cool and putting some swag on it and giving it a vibe, that's exactly what I'm going to do when I go to the polls. And so I'm excited. All my listeners know the deal. 
the surge 82018. We're about to surge into the polls. If we can send 100,000 men and women to war, we can send 100,000 men and women to the polls. We can get it done, people. November 6th is our time. So, Adam, where can the folks find out more about you on social media? At, uh, so, my website is adamolier.com. So, A D A M. H-O-L-L-I-E-R.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Adamant for Detroit. That's A-D-A-M-A-N-T, the number four Detroit. Or you can check me uh, on Facebook similarly at uh, with Adam Olier. So very excited about it. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to come and talk to your folks. And I look forward to coming Listen, back. Listen, people, you can also donate if you're not in Detroit. So, you know, I yes, you can. we can always send him some money. For all those listeners out there who's trying to figure out how do you help candidates across this country? We've got Stacey Abrams running for governor of Georgia. We've got Andrew Gullum running for governor in Florida. We've got Ben Jealous in Maryland. We've got Adam in Detroit. So you can always donate. If you can't knock on doors, you can donate. Again, this is Kina Zontel. I want to thank my listeners for tuning in with me every week. You can find me at the Surge 2018 on Instagram and on Twitter. You can find me also on Twitter at Citizen the Pod. Hopefully, you guys will go there and send me some questions. Give me some topics to talk about. You can also find me on the awesome Anchor app and on all places to find a podcast. So, again, thank you. And this was Citizen the Pod.